This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. So, Blair, we get to have this segment all to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And talking about, and I think this is a really good segment, four key things or four mistakes to avoid when you are already in debt. Yeah, so it's obviously a minefield. If you're in a situation where you you know you're not going to be able to pay people off what they're owed, um, there's going to be pain, right? And you have to be careful how that pain is shared, uh, meaning amongst your creditors. And there's a bunch of things that you can potentially do that you might think you're doing the right thing, that in the end of the day, you're really not solving the problem and perhaps deepening things a little bit more. So let's go through all those today and give give some guidance. Yeah, so it's not really complicated ones, but they're things that you think you should do when in fact you should just take a second and rethink that. Yeah. And as I was writing the segment up, I was really thinking, you know, over the years of, of me meeting with individual clients, you know, it's definitely into the thousands at this point, you know, what are some of the themes that come out that people say, you know, I wish I hadn't done that. And that maybe that wasn't in my best interest. So yeah, we'll, we'll go through a few of those today. Excellent. Okay. So uh, number one, and we see this happen a lot. If you're in debt, then the idea to go and borrow money yeah. to get out of debt, it, it's kind its kind of logical. It certainly yep. is logical in some people's brains. Um, and that's just not a good idea. Yeah. So it's its the old, you know, parable or fable or whatever that, you know, when you find yourself in, in a hole, what do you do the first thing is you stop digging. And wow. when you take on new debts, sometimes you just keep digging yourself deeper. So let's talk about a couple things that people usually, you know, uh, go to right away. So one is a consolidation loan. And, you know, th- this sounds great, right? It does because the way a consolidation loan works is you're going to put all of your debt together and ideally you're going to negotiate a reduced interest. So maybe if you're paying 20% in your credit cards, you'll get it down to 11 or 12% um, on a consolidated line. Um, but there's two big issues with a consolidation loan. What are they? Well, first off is it's very difficult to qualify for one. So it's almost the, it's oh. the people that don't need to consolidate are the ones that would qualify because you need to generally have free and clear assets. You need to have a house with a ton of equity in it. You need to have a bunch of savings or investments that the bank could take some security on because a bank is going to take a risk. If they issue you a consolidation loan, they're going to pay off all of your other debts and then you're going to owe that new bank. And unless that bank's got some security, they're usually not going to be willing to advance a consolidation loan. So problem one is it's difficult to get, but problem two, and this is even more severe, it's sometimes be careful what you wish for uh, because I've seen again and again, people are successful in getting consolidation loans and then they just start using the credit cards they consolidated originally and they've rung up the debts again um, because it doesn't force you to deal with the underlying issue. So, you know, suddenly you can afford your monthly payments and then you say, okay, well, put one thing on this credit card and then another thing. And then, you know, maybe a year or two later, you've doubled the problem you originally had. Right. And this is where I I just want to plug having somebody like you, a licensed insolvency trustee to work with is that along with all the financial um, sort of reconfiguration and health and all of that that we've talked about so many times and we'll talk about again, uh, there's also counseling. Yeah. And that's and that's the key, I think, right, is to figure out, okay, how did I get into this situation in the first place? 
and how can I avoid to get, not get in it again? Yeah, what's the root cause? It's not yeah. not a simple thing. Okay, well, let's clear off the debt, and then you go on your merry way. No, it's if you if you work with a trustee, you know, we really want to understand what is the circumstances that caused it. How do we help you get through it, and how do yeah. we try to prevent it reoccurs? Exactly. So yeah. the idea of taking on new debt with a consolidation loan again, be very very careful. Fair enough. Um, you know, another new debt that people really can get into trouble with, and you know, I've just put down on my notes here, just don't do this, um, yeah. is, is payday loans. And they're so attractive. Yeah, it's easy, right? You see a lot of advertising out there. You know, they're very, you know, nice, clean storefronts, so on and so forth. They're in your neighborhood, all of that. Yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah. So it's got to be good. Well, you pay ridiculous interest fees, yeah. um, you know, sometimes north of 500% per annum, um, you know, when you add in all the all the interest and fees there. And the challenge with payday loans, and I see it again and again, is one breeds another. So you get one and then to pay that one back, you sometimes have to take out a second one and then a third one. And it can go where people have 10 different payday loans going on on the go. Um, there's no security a payday lender requires from you typically, so it's easy to incur, but the fees and then the, the fact that they, again, tend to breed others, that can be very difficult. Fair enough. Okay. Um, so I, this is, this is where we get into, uh, words that I, I don't know what they mm-hmm. mean. Yeah. Uh, the collateral loan, the automobile collateral loan. What is that? How, when would I get that? Yeah, I, I've seen that very, very recently, literally in the last 12 months in the lower mainland okay. here. And that's if you owned a car free and clear, and maybe it's, you know, a great car you saved for a while, you know, you're very proud about it. Um, and you need some money. You can go to one of these organizations and they'll take security over your car. And what you essentially do is you sign a sale agreement and they agree not to take possession of your car as long as you make the payments. Um, but if you miss any payments on this, uh, this new loan, they've got the right to seize your car. And in one case, a client I was dealing with, they didn't even have to give the car back until he had paid the loan off in full and they were going to charge him storage fees. So he was a couple payments in and went delinquent. He had 10 more months to go on the loan and they were going to keep his car in storage and force him to pay the storage fees. And essentially it was all in the terms and conditions of the loan. So if you're looking to get some short-term financing and they want to take collateral over your automobile, speak to a trustee, get someone to look over the documents, make sure your eyes are wide open of what potential powers you are giving away. Essentially, you're basically selling your car and going to be buying it back. And if something happens with those buybacks, uh, you are not in the driver's seat. Yeah. And that interest rate of 20 to 30% yeah. uh, being a fairly common thing, that's crazy. Yeah. It's not cheap financing. Even though you're given security, it's not cheap. Right. So the other one, we've talked about this a number of times, and I think it's just so important, is the whole idea, because people are lovely, family and friends, they want to give you a hand, they want to help. It's not like you're going to them begging, but they're offering, saying, what can I do? How can I help you? And so the whole concept of borrowing money from family or friends and you don't think that's a good idea? No, almost always it's a really bad idea. Um, you know, if family or friends need to help you out, you know, on a monthly basis because the income just isn't enough to meet the monthly expenses, that's one thing. Um, but if you borrow, say, a chunk of money to pay off a credit card company, um, you know, there's a lot more emotion attached to not being able to pay back your mother, father, brother, or sister than not being able to pay back Bank of Montreal or Royal Bank or things like that. Right. So I have people in my office quite often that, you know, we go through all of their debts and they're very comfortable. Okay, we need to restructure the bank and so on and so forth. But, oh my God, I can't leave grandma in the lurch. You know, I've got to pay this money back to family. Um, So, you know, I have to explain to them, well, if it's a bankruptcy or a proposal, you can't give preferential treatment to family members. But what often happens is once a bankruptcy or proposal is over, the person feels obligated and they go back and they still pay that money back. So at the end of the day, it's another obligation that they wouldn't have to pay if they hadn't borrowed from friends and family members, if they had just kept it with commercial organizations. And the the flip side of that too is not is 
you feeling bad, but then the person that you've borrowed the money from. I mean, that's such an easy uh, an easy situation where resentment can build up, yeah. and and you know, let's say maybe you're going on a holiday and you still owe grandma five thousand bucks, mm-hmm. and she's going, "Why aren't you paying me?" Like all of that stuff that never gets talked about. Yeah, again, these are one of the big regrets a lot of clients say is, "I wish I hadn't brought my family into this." Yeah, period. Yeah, good enough. Um, and and then taking advice from the wrong people that's a tough one because you know everybody like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably one of the worst offenders. Love to give you advice oh, yeah. on what I think you should do. <clears throat> well, exactly. And most people, when it comes to debt too, we've got this sense of morality, right? Yes. And and we think it's a crime if you don't pay back your debts. Well, you know, sometimes you're just not able to, and that's not a crime. You shouldn't go to jail for it. Um, but you've really got to be careful who gives you advice um, because whether it's well-meaning friends and family members, maybe it's coworkers, you know, it could even be an accountant who's just really not experienced in insolvency. Um, you know, I've had people get completely the wrong advice, you know, something like, well, don't worry about CRA. They can never collect from you anyway. Well, no, that, that's not really true that's here. That's not true. <laughs> uh, you know, don't worry about paying your friends and family back in a preferential way. You know, that can cause you a bunch of problems yeah. here. Um, or the biggest thing is just when people get advice and the advice says, there are no options here. There's nothing you can do if you owe a student loan or if you owe the government money. And then some, sometimes people just get hopeless. Right. So, you know, you would never go to your dentist and say, gee, you know, my car is making a funny noise. Can you help me with that? Yeah. Um, so going to a professional who's not a licensed insolvency trustee, you're really not guaranteeing that you're seeing the expert. There's really one professional you should see if you're in debt trouble, and it's a licensed insolvency trustee. An accountant accountant or a lawyer, they should refer you to a trustee, and most do. Absolutely. And credit counseling and all that kind of, those, that group, that area, uh, again, we've talked about, it's just not a good idea. Yeah, I would say for your first instance, you know, go and see a trustee. If a trustee thinks, you know, an informal credit counselor can can do what you need if you've got, you know, a small problem and just need a little bit of coaching, then sure, they'll refer you to the right person. But your challenge is if you start with the person who's unqualified, maybe a little bit less professional, um, you may never actually get in front of the trustee who can really solve your problem. Exactly. The next one, mistaking minimum payments for progress. And, and we've Again, that whole credit card thing of where they, yeah. you know, you owe, I don't know, $2,000 and they suggest what, that you give them $10 or something at the bottom. And yeah. that's just crazy king too. Oh yeah, it's it's when you start to dig into the minimum payment math, and we've done segments about this before. It's just depressing, um, you know, when your debts are moving away from you at you know twenty to thirty percent interest per year. You know, they double on their own every couple of years if you just did nothing on them. Um, so you know, the interest can really start to just consume any progress that you're making. I had a lady in my office on just this last week, and she showed me, you know, I made a two hundred dollar payment last month on my credit card, and we looked at it, one hundred and eighty five dollars went to interest and fees. $15 went to the principal. Wow. So you can imagine how demoralizing that is. What's that? 93% of her payment did not move the needle. 7% did. Exactly. So, yeah. So if you're just if you're just making minimum payments, quite often all you're doing is treading water. You're, you're postponing the inevitable. And the final thing, um, and this is, I'm sure you run into this all the time with, with clients, the whole idea the, of, of the shame that's attached to it and, and people just keeping it to themselves. Yeah. People suffer alone. They suffer in silence. Um, they feel like they're the only people, um, you know, in Canada that are experiencing this type of a debt issue. And, you know, the reality is over a hundred thousand people in Canada every year, uh, see a trustee and file either a bankruptcy or a proposal. Um, but yeah, we see people that, you know, for sometimes it's upwards of two years, they just feel hopeless. They, you know, stop sleeping. They don't eat well. Their health suffers, their family suffers, their relationships suffer. And it's just a matter of, they need to reach out and ask for help. 
And the biggest concern people say to me is, you know, they were just concerned about admitting the problem and being judged and, you know, feeling like, you know, they had been stupid. And, you know, some people think they're going to get thrown in jail because of their debts and, you know, their neighbors are going to find out. There's just so many more myths than there are facts. Uh, what I'm really proud about at Sands and Associates is we greet everybody, you know, as if they were a member of our family. We treat everybody with respect and with empathy. Uh, you know, we know good things can happen to bad people and money problems aren't a reflection of someone's personal character. It's just a commercial transaction that unfortunately just didn't go the way that everyone hoped it would go. Um, but Canadian law is great and that it gives you a chance to rebuild, to turn around and to have a better tomorrow. And I, I do want to mention too, just as we wrap this, uh, it's really important to know that I'm not paying you uh, any, I mean, let's talk about the pay structure because that's yeah. a question that people have yeah. all the time. What What do you get out of this? What does Sands and Associates get out of this? Yeah, and for a free consultation, we get nothing out of it. There, right. There's no charge. There's no obligation. A lot of people that I see, I give them some good advice. They move on their way and they thank me for it and that's the end of it. Uh, if we do end up restructuring debts, anything anybody pays is set by government tariff. It's the same with every trustee in the country. Uh, that's really important to remember. Uh, you're listening to Dollars and Cents. Uh, you've been listening to Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. I'm Elaine Scollin. Get a financial fresh start by calling Sands and Associates 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. I love this segment, Blair. I think it's a great idea. Uh, each month, we're going to talk about the issues, like the top issues that are coming across your desk with your clients when they're walking in the door. Um, and boy, oh boy, <laughs> Ugh, I, I as much as I hate this, the fact that it's going on, I think it's really important that we talk about it. Um, I personally am getting these phone calls right. from CRA, and yeah. and they're so threatening and so demanding, and I, you know, I immediately hang up or they show up on my cell phone. Yeah. But it's so. I just think if somebody's not thinking about it like I am, mm. they're you know just be frightened to death. Yeah. So the focus for our first monthly client roundup, what I'm seeing this month is more and more scams. And Elaine, you, you hit the nail on the head with the first one, CRA. Um, I didn't see this scam about a year ago and now just about every week I'm getting a call or I'm having a client who's coming in the, in the door and people are literally shaking because yeah. they, they just don't know, um, you know, because the scam essentially the way that it goes, it's outbound calling. So CRA or someone purported to be CRA is going to call you and they're going to say, you know, there's been some failure to file or some mistake in your tax return and you owe us pick X dollars, you know, X thousands of dollars, maybe a few thousand dollars. And they say, you know, this is S escalated past the point where, you know, respectfully, we could make a deal with you at this point. This is criminal and we will be at your door tomorrow unless, and it's always the unless, you go and you wire transfer money or sometimes you even buy gift cards or things like that. And obviously I'm summarizing this in the space of, you know, 30 seconds here, but this is, you know, over the space of a half an hour or even an hour, maybe multiple calls. And what's really shocking too is often the caller ID will say Canada Revenue Agency. Exactly. And the number they give you to call back, they will answer the phone, Canada Revenue Agency. And that is criminal to me. These yeah. people should be shot. 
<laughs> Sorry, but that's yeah. just awful. Well, it's it's definitely it's horrible because it's preying on the idea you know the people have that you can trust the government. Um, at the end of the day, that when a government collector calls you, it's something you got to take serious. Um, but you know, in these cases, if if a CRA collector calls you, first off, understand CRA is never going to threaten you with jail time. Never. They're not going to say pay this balance or we're throwing your, yourself in jail. That's just not going to happen. People don't go to jail for unpaid taxes. They might go to jail for not filing tax returns for twenty years, but even that barely happens. So. And I'm pretty sure they will not phone you or send you an email. Mm-hmm. You will get a oh, letter yeah. in the mail. It will always start with a letter. Yeah. And then you might get collection calls after if you ignore the letter, but it'll always be referring to the letter. Right. Uh, they'll never come to your house to collect. That never. just doesn't happen. No, um, no it never happens. Uh, they'll never give you a 24 hour, 24 hour window to take action or else. You know, again, all of these things. And if you're just hearing it for the first time, you say, well, how could somebody fall for that? But in the moment when you're not sure and when these guys are sounding very, very convincing, you know, all of this stuff, you're like, well, I don't want CRA at my door. I definitely don't want to go to jail, so let me just pay to make this go away. Especially if you've got caller ID, you've yeah. taken that step for protection to know who's calling you, and it says CRA, yeah. and I, I should take it back. I don't think they should be shot. <laughs> that that would be too good. Shot I think. out of a cannon. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Shot out of a cannon or just sent directly to prison. There we go. Yeah. And, you know, what you can do to protect yourself is, you know, you can call the police. Um, you can call a licensed insolvency trustee and ask a couple of questions. But the biggest thing is just a rule of thumb. If someone's calling you from an organization, um, just say, okay, I'm going to phone you back, but you don't take their number. You go and look up online what's CRA's general number, and then you navigate back to the person that was speaking with you. Um, and obviously, in this situation, you'd phone CRA's general number. You'd ask to speak to the person who's threatening to come to your door the next day. And very quickly, you would get some comfort that this is not real. And it's really important. Uh, I just want to repeat what Blair said about not phoning the number back that you got, Mm -hmm. because there's a whole other level of scam that's going on with phone numbers and uh, phone calls being made. So yeah, you need to hang up, phone the organization yourself and go from there. Right. So what else is still going on? I mean, that's worse. I mean, that's the worst CRA. Uh, but romance scams? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I see these less prevalent than, than CRA, but you know, sure. definitely in the last month I've seen a couple wow. and it, it's never the person that you would think would fall victim to this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I've had, uh, had in this past month, there was a female in my office, you know, very sophisticated, professional, well put together, you know, clearly knew where she was going in life. Uh, and this was an online dating um, sure. scam. So, And I know, you know that they're that they're very successful, the online dating, the online dating sites. Some of them are very good. I know, mm-hmm. I know a number of people who have found, you know, the best partner ever as yeah. a result. Oh, of course. Yeah. People find love and get, get married quite often. Um, but the challenge here is that there are sharks, you know, swimming among the fish, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, there are boiler rooms around the world where people will be doing, you know, 40 or 50 or these at a time, you know, having a fake profile and starting to build emotional intimacy over time through, you know, some very well-written emails and texts and different things like that, but you never actually meet the person. Right. And then usually what happens is suddenly something happens to this, you know, uh, person that you you're hoping to meet at some point and maybe marry and have a great life together, but something happens. You know, they're overseas, they're traveling, they're thrown in jail and they need to make bail money, for example. And there's nobody else they can call except for you because, oh God, if people found out, this would be terrible. So then you start and you wire a little bit of money and maybe it's $500 or $1,000. But it's still $500 or $1,000 that is going to some 
bad person sitting yep. in their basement in Burnaby or wherever, yeah. right, that's scamming you. Oh, ex- exactly. And if it stopped there, you know, that would be okay. But, you know, oftentimes it gets to twenty, thirty, even $50,000, you know, people going into debt, you know, using up all of their available credit to try to help what they think is their life partner, who, again, they've unfortunately never met. And when they step back and look at the facts, they all say, how could I, you know, how could I have been taken from this, uh, taken by this? But you've just got to realize it's an industrial scale now and it's psychological warfare. They are using words and tones and phrases, the idea to build this relationship. So you've just got to be careful, never advance money to anybody unless you've met them. And obviously be careful if a relationship starts off with one person borrowing from the other quite often. Fair enough. Check cashing scams. Yeah, this one in in general is if it seems too good to be true, it really is. So there's a number of scams out there right now, and they often uh, recruit over LinkedIn. So a few of my clients, you know, they were out there mm. looking for jobs, and someone on LinkedIn just out of the blue said, "Got a very important financial job. We need your help with." And they explain in a very convoluted way, but the substance of it is, we're going to give you a check, and we need you to take this check to a Canadian bank and deposit it. We want you to wait for the check to clear, and that's 30 days. And then after the check clears, we want you to forward us the funds, less your cut, which is you know maybe it's 10 or 15% commission. Okay. So it sounds like money for nothing, right? Right. You know, you're just cashing money. But what happens is after 30 days, you send the funds away to, to the person here and you probably never hear from them again. But then maybe 30 or 60 days after that, your bank comes back and says, hey, that original check, that was actually fraudulent. So we're holding you on the hook because you cashed that check. Oh. And we don't care that we've processed it through and we don't care that the funds aren't in your account anymore and gone. That's your problem. Our problem as the bank is you owe us money. Wow. That is very sophisticated. Yeah. Oh boy. Yes. No good. <laughs> that's uh, that's just bad. Uh, and the last one, and I think this is, I always think this is an important one that we talk about is, is a credit counseling concerns. Yeah. And this was just an example I had last week that, you know, almost broke my heart in, in a way. Uh, it was a, a couple that I met with and 18 years ago, um, they got into trouble on their taxes and it was because they were both, you know, very, um, very good students doing well in school. And then one of them got very sick and had mm. to drop out of school. And then subsequently they had a few kids and started a family and, you know, now everyone's health is great. Um, but for literally the last 18 years, these folks have had a tax issue that they went to see a credit counselor 18 years ago and they were told there is nothing you can do about tax debt in Canada. You just need to pay it. You need to suck it up and pay it dollar for dollar. Oh, so boy. for 18 years, they've had no hope. They've built no net worth. They haven't even filed taxes for the last 10 years because if they file, they know the government's going to want their money. Oh, so, so many times in my office, they said, how can this be allowed that someone can give bad information on debts? And unfortunately, it's buyer beware. If they had come to a trustee 18 years ago, they would have had a much different you know, last 18 years. Oh my gosh, that is a heartbreaker yep. that they uh, that they didn't think that they could take action and then be so afraid to do anything, especially even file tax, your tax return. Yep. That's oh, very, very sad. If uh, I guess the bottom line, do you want to hit the bottom line? And I, I can talk about it or you can on this, that only a trustee uh, is a federally is federally licensed to help you understand your debt options, and I yep. I think that's just a really good thing to remember. Uh, any credit counselor can set up shop overnight and then give bad information. Always get a second opinion, and if nothing else, if you're pretty much sold that this is the right way to go, and you just take that hesitation and get that second opinion and and call and make that get a free consultation with Sands and Associates. Um, Blair and any of his staff will be able to give you the best information that is available and it's factual and true and because they have to tell you the the facts about this mm-hmm. uh, or check the website it's terrific sans-trustee.com 
or you can give them a call at 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation and to find an office near you. We'll be back with more right after this. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. And hey, as a reminder, for any information on any of the services that we talk about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 for that free consultation. In studio with us right now is Mark Fidget. He's a Vancouver-based mortgage consultant and broker, has over 20 years of experience. He's a member of the Verico Mortgage Network and pretty much the driver behind this fabulous website. Here's the address, www.advancedequity.ca. Now, Mark's been on the show before on Dollars and Cents. He's also a frequent speaker, uh, talks a lot about mortgage debt and personal finance. Welcome, Mark, to the show. Elaine, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Blair. My Happy pleasure. to be here. Great. So I know uh, I'll just start off. We're, we're talking about new mortgage rules. That's the point of this segment. Um, so there are new mortgage rules, and they're actually really new. So can we go through them, Mark, and, and the changes? Uh, when did they come into effect, and, and what are they? So absolutely, uh, Elaine. So they came into effect January 1st, and we, when we're saying new mortgage rules, it's really an expansion of an existing rule that came in last year, and it's called a stress test. So uh, it basically now requires, as of January 1st, for everyone to qualify on the benchmark Bank of Canada rate, which is this floating rate. Currently, it's at 5.14. Previous to January 1st, it really only was applicable to the low down payment crowd. So that's anybody putting less than 20% down. So now the banks have to evaluate based on the benchmark uh, rate, so and take that payment, and uh, you've got to prove that you can uh, handle the 2% increase in rates. And the benchmark rate is new, normally quite a bit higher, right? Correct. It's likely sitting about 2% higher. I'm not sure how they come up with that rate, mm. but it's about 2% higher than your, your, your fixed five-year rate. Hmm. So it would seem to me that the government's a little bit worried. People are overextending themselves and they're just going to make it more and more difficult to qualify for a mortgage. Everything being being equal, you have a tougher time this year than you would 12 months ago. Correct. I mean, 12 months ago, what we were seeing is we were seeing a lot of parents gifting funds to their buyers, their, their kids, because they could bypass that 20%. And really what it meant was if you had 20% down or more, there was a lot more flexibility in the banks qualifying you. Now it's black and white. It, whatever, whatever that rate is, that Bank of Canada benchmark rate, you have a payment that goes with it. If you don't qualify for that, you don't qualify for that mortgage, regardless of how much you're putting down. Hmm. And regardless of history with the bank, regardless of your you know, credit worthiness, this is a hard and fast test. It's a hard and fast test. And actually, it's, it's not a bad thing. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a conversation that I've had with my clients for many years. Like, what's going to happen if rates go up? Can you afford it? Um, but obviously it's something that's come in, it's new and people aren't used to it. Hmm. So what have you seen in your client base, Mark, since, since these rules have, have taken effect? So I'm seeing a lot more difficulty in qualifying. So for example, I had a client, uh, who, who bought a pre-built 
And they qualified at the time that we did the financing, basically for, you know, they weren't, they were approved for the financing, but obviously this is two years in the future. So we're looking at based on what we know now. So this is like, you see these big advertisements, new tower being built, nothing barely even hole in the ground, but you sign on at that point, right? You sign on at that point and you're basically looking at rates at that time and saying, do I qualify? So obviously we don't have a crystal ball, but we're looking at rates today and saying, yeah, based on your your income, here's what you qualify for. And then what's happened now is as of January 1st, all of a sudden, instead of qualifying on the rate they're getting, they now have to qualify on a rate that's 2% higher, which is your mm. benchmark, uh, Bank of Canada benchmark rate. So I've got a girl who bought this pre-build, it's getting close to completion, and now she doesn't qualify. I mean, (laughs) fortunate for her, she's getting married, she's got a husband, she's got another income, but imagine the people that have bought pre-builds, been told they qualify, and all of a sudden, this new rule comes in, and right across the board, it changes the whole dynamics. Well, and emotionally, it's got to be pretty difficult. I mean, how demoralizing is that when you've been, you know, anticipating this unit to become yours, and all of a sudden, the rules have changed significantly because 2%, that's a big change. Well, that's a huge change. And I mean, in this example, she was fortunate to have another income. But imagine you're by yourself and all of a sudden you're told you've put 20% down on a deposit for a pre-build and all of a sudden now you don't qualify. What are you doing? I yeah. mean, it's pretty scary times. Yeah, absolutely. It would. Yeah, that would be awful. And... I have a feeling that this young woman you're talking about uh, isn't alone, right? I mean, it's happening to everybody, uh, and some people are going to be able to sort of absorb that, and others, what what do they do at that point, Mark? Just walk away? Well, I mean, you've got to you've got to weigh your options, right? Mm. You've you got to deposit, probably. Yeah, right? you've got to deposit. Yeah. Uh, mm. uh, you've got a property that's likely increased in value. So you're not only walking away from your deposit, you're walking away from, you know, an increased equity position. Uh, It's, it's, yeah, I mean, and and this is where the change came in because prior to January, anybody who put less than 20% down, they were stress tested back last year. But then all of a sudden, if you had more than 20%, you didn't run into this problem, but now it's everybody doesn't matter. So you don't have a choice where you can go back and say, okay, well, I can get a little bit more money down I can put at least 20% down. Now I don't have to worry about the stress test. Yeah, you do. And Mark, even if you're putting, you know, 40% down, something like that, some, some significant number, you're, you're still, these rules still apply. Is that correct? Absolutely. And it's, it's Mm. the flexibility that's lost. Yeah. Mm. When you were putting the large down payments previous to January 1st, the banks had more flexibility. So if your income was a, you know, fixed amount, but you need a little bit more, you know, they could make it work. Now it's, it is what it is. It's black and white. Hmm. Well, I have to, so can we talk about affordability then? Is that a good, is this a good place to actually talk about that? Because that just seems to have gone out the window, right? I mean, there's some segment of the population that it's, it's not an issue and it'll never be an issue for them, but feels like for everybody else. Well, I think we can agree if we're talking about single family homes in the lower mainland, that's virtually impossible for most. Um, and that's why the condo price market, there's, there's a disconnect right now. The, the single family homes are slowing, but there's still huge price range with them. But the condo market is popping. And really that's what we would consider the only affordable product on the market. But here's where the big disconnect is, Elaine. The medium sale price of a one-bedroom, one-bedroom condo in greater Vancouver just hit 540000 in March. Wow. 
And when you take into consideration the average household income in Vancouver is 79000 based on this new stress test rule and CMHC's guidelines, you know, your GDS, TDS, the math doesn't work. Um, it technically means that the average family can't afford even a one-bedroom home in, in Vancouver. Wow. So earning almost $80,000 a year, which most people would think solidly middle class, upper middle class type of income, that doesn't get you to first base. It doesn't get you a one bedroom condo from an affordability point of view in Vancouver. That's what you're saying, Mark. Correct. Unless you've got a huge down payment. Hmm. And, and, you know, I don't know if you read it, but RBC affordability index just came out and it states that Vancouver has the worst affordability levels ever recorded anywhere in Canada. I mean, that's huge. Wow. So there must be something more than doom and gloom here, right? So obviously it, it, is it, there, Mark? Yeah, is there please tell us. More than doom and gloom? You know, of course. I mean, we're talking about the you know the lower mainland Vancouver area. Obviously, it's 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 a high priced area. Um, the further you go out, it's hmm. the better. You know, the lower the price is. So of course, there's options there. Um, there is a big transfer of wealth right now. So I mean. There are lots of people that are coming up, younger generation that are coming up with big down payments because the parents are selling their, you know, their Carisdale five, six million dollar home, hmm. downsizing, giving their kids some money. So it's happening and it's moving. But if we're talking about just a person who's got an average income with uh, not a ton of savings, it's tough. You're buying outside the lower mainland. Way outside the lower mainland. Yeah, I didn't want to say that, Elaine. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah. but right, because I mean, concentric circles. Yeah. Uh, I mean, in the, uh, there was a time when going to Burnaby, uh, Surrey, Coquitlam, that's where that we saw that huge bulge, Maple Ridge, yep. new home construction was cr- was going crazy. And now, and now you go there and you're still looking at, I don't know what a condo goes for, but I know a single family dwelling is, is way up there. If not, if not at a million, it's between eight and that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and, and demand has been driven up there. I mean, people are being pushed out of the downtown core. So of course, demand in those areas is going up. So the price now, even for those, that product is higher than it was, you know, three, five years ago. Okay. So there is nothing but doom and gloom then, Mark, is what you're saying. <laughs> no, I know you're not saying that, but it is. I mean, it's a, it's a super challenging time for folks. Super challenging. Yeah. And really there's only two ways to be able to buy higher. And one is we talked about having a larger down payment and the other way is to bump up your income. And really most of the time your income is what it is. So what we're seeing is uh, couples are buying together where they're grouping their income, maybe buying a, a, a dupe up and down duplex where mm-hmm. they're buying it together. So there's a little bit of creativity there. Um, of course, if you're on the fence and you're buying something like a single family home, maybe it's not in Vancouver, it's further out those places you spoke about. There's always that option of a legal suite where, you know, it might help boost you and get you over the fence there. Mm-hmm. So there's still, there's still hope. Make sure you're working with a great mortgage broker, knowledgeable one, and uh, knows the rules. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's opportunity still. And steer you in the right direction. I would think that um, expertise, knowledge, uh, those kinds of things are really, I mean, they're always important, but I would think in this particular situation, because uh, a bad decision, you could just sink you really easily. For sure. And a big question that I just wanted to touch on, uh, a lot of people are concerned about renewals right now with this uh, right. with this stress test rule. And uh, it's safe to say that right now, the stress test rule doesn't apply to someone renewing their mortgage. Uh, so that's what's happening right now. So 
So don't worry about that when you're coming up for renewal. Uh, one of the things we, you know, th- we have to consider is I think the competition's going to be eliminated because previously, if you were going to get a renewal, yeah. you could shop around. You call up your mortgage broker, see what the best rate is. And if there's a better rate somewhere else, you move. Now, if you don't qualify in the stress test rule, you aren't moving and your bank knows you can't move. So right. what's that going to do to competition and to the type of rates they're going to offer you on renewal? Seems like somebody else needs to be involved here, right? For sure. I mean, typically, you know, you, you do what you do and you know what you know. So, uh, you know, you're going to a doctor because a doctor knows. I mean, right. I get a knowledgeable mortgage broker, even if it's a bankrupt, someone who really knows what they're doing and uh, steer you in the right direction. And for those who don't know, Mark, does it cost anything to work with a mortgage broker? No, it's absolutely free unless you're getting into that B type of lending. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin with Blair Manton uh, from Sands & Associates. Get that financial fresh start by calling 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation. Thank you, Mark Fidget. Thank you for having me in. It was great. We'll be back with more right after this. Yes. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Licensed insolvency trustees have the legal resources and knowledge to help you get out of debt. And believe it or not, they're often able to explain debt solutions that you can use on your own. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about right now with Blair. Uh, how sort of your insider resources. Love that term, the insider. To, <laughs> insider, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> to become debt free. Uh, yeah. That's cool. I didn't know I didn't know there were some insider resources that we could use. Let's well, talk about them. Yeah, and they shouldn't be insider resources. But at the end of the day, we're using that a big tongue in cheek because, my God, the amount of people that don't know about these options and sometimes make bad decisions, you know, for their self or for their loved ones giving advice. Um, so let's spend a bit of time today on a bunch of things that you might not know, but that can be very useful if you're facing a debt situation. Or is it pre the debt situation? Because yeah. I mean, one of the first items here is talking about what kind of debt it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this can also be just giving yourself, you know, buyer beware before you sign on the dotted line for various types of contracts, knowing, well, what's the remedy here if things go off the rule, off oh, the rails? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about it then. Yeah. So what makes a debt secured or unsecured? Yeah. So the first thing that let's talk about is this is a provision called seize or sue. And what this means is that if you have a secured debt and a secured debt to answer your question is if you financed a car or you financed a house or something, secured debt means that if you don't pay the debt, someone's going to take the security from you. And usually that means if you don't pay on your car loan, they're going to come and repo the car. Right. Okay. So the vast majority of debt, you know, your credit cards, your lines of credit, most of them, um, income tax debts, those are all unsecured debts. If you don't pay them, there's no specific asset that you're going to lose. Yeah, they're not connected to one specific thing. Right. So the first topic we're going to talk about is if you've got a secured debt, like a car loan, you know, what can you do about it? All right. What can I do about it? And I can't pay it. Right. So the important thing, and I have people come in to see me all the time and they have no idea about these facts I'm about to tell you. So if you have financed a car in the Uh province of BC, and this applies to any consumer good, not a business good. So it has to be a consumer good, but let's say it's a car that you financed. If you suddenly turn around and figure out, 
I can't afford to continue to make these payments. Maybe you're two years into a seven-year financing contract, and you know that if you try to sell the car, you're going to not have enough money to pay off this loan, Okay. right? Because almost by definition, as soon as you finance a car and you start making the payments, the car is worth a lot less than what you actually owe on the loan. Right. And most of us are okay with that at periods of time. But if it's at the point where you know you can't afford to continue to make payments, and you also know if you were to sell the car, you wouldn't be able to pay back the whole loan, a lot of people feel really trapped in that situation. They've got an asset they can't afford, um, and they've got a loan that they can't pay off, and they think that there's nothing they can do. It sounds pretty awful. Mm -hmm. What can I do? First insider resource here is to get yourself in front of Google and type in seize or sue BC. Okay. okay. It's a provision for the, from the law and again, completely unknown. What it means is that if you financed a good and you stop making the payments on it, your creditors have to make a decision. They're either going to come and seize the vehicle from you, mm-hmm. continue with our example, or they're going to say, keep, keep the car. We're going to sue you for the full amount of the loan. But mm. the important thing is they can't do both. And this is a difference within BC to other provinces. So let me tell you, if we were in Ontario, yeah. you finance the car, you owe $40,000 on it still, and you know if you sell the car, you're going to get $25,000. Yeah. If you're in the province of Ontario and you stop making those payments and they come and seize the car, they recover 25000 at auction, they're giving you a bill for $15,000. you are not in good shape, right? Right. Province of BC, they can't give you that bill. Okay. If they come and seize the car from you, that's the end of the story. Well, that is, that's, that's... That Shocking, is significantly right? You have different. no idea about that. Yeah. And the car financing company is not going to tell you that. They're going to say, we're going to seize that car and we're going to hold you responsible for all the shortfall. It's a lie. That's really interesting. So the only way where Caesar Sue wouldn't apply is if you've used the car in business, as we mentioned, okay. or if when you're surrendering or giving back the car, when they're repoing it, if you signed a contract out of those provisions. And sometimes, you know, bailiffs are usually very, very nice gentlemen or women. Um, They're not going to be confrontational with you. They might say, you know, just sign here, just saying that you're giving me the car. Sometimes you're signing to say, I agree to pay any shortfall, even though I'm not required to do so by law. Okay. Wow. So so my advice is if you're given the car back, you know, take pictures with your phone or whatever of what you're doing, but don't sign any of the documents. Say, I don't sign anything until my lawyer has reviewed them. I'm not going to sign on the moment here because I don't know what I might be contracting out of. Wow. But seize or sue, hugely important for someone who might think that they're underwater on a vehicle loan and they've got no way out. And that signature that the bailiff wants uh, wants you to give them mm-hmm. is... Could that kind of signature be made when you're purchasing the vehicle? Like, could you be signing up for that? No, usually it's in the moment. You'd have to, you know, basically agree at that point. I don't believe you can contract out of it ahead of time. I think the law still still applies. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. So yeah, that one is huge value. I have people coming in thinking there's no hope for a vehicle loan. And I'm happy to send them on their way with just a little bit of knowledge about seize or sue. Very interesting. And the difference between British Columbia and Ontario, that's fascinating. Yeah. I had no idea. And we all just assume you're going to be on the hook, but it's not necessarily the case. Okay. Now, does the two-year basic liability limitation period, mm-hmm. does that enter into this or is that a separate thing that's again? A, that's a separate thing. Okay. So yeah, I think the first insider thing we want to talk about is you know vehicle financing and seize or sue. I think the second thing let's talk about is a statute of limitations on debts. And we talked about this a little bit kind of tangentially, but let's be clear. um, If you owe somebody money in the province of BC, and now let's be clear, it doesn't apply to government debts. There's no statute of limitations on government debts. You have to deal with those one way or the other. But if it's a private debt, a credit card, a line of credit, something, you know, a personal loan, um, there is a limitation period, meaning that if you stop making payments on a debt, 
they can't chase you for the rest of your life and threaten to sue you and threaten to take your assets and seize your wages. There is a two-year limitation period. From the last payment that you made. And that's, yes. the, that's to me, a key piece mm-hmm. for folks to know. So the worst thing you can often do is just continue to make that very small minimum payment every month for the rest of your life. That loan will never get statute barred if you continue to pay. What you have to do is you have to realize, I'm not going to be able to make these payments in full, so it's probably not in my best interest to continue to reset the statute of limitations. Got it. It's something you want to get some advice on. So again, come in to see us at Sands and Associates for a free meeting or give us a call. But just knowing that there is a statute of limitations can give you a little bit of another tool in your toolbox if you're dealing with debt. Because remember, especially on a credit card, and and we've talked about this before, is that it actually states on the card how long it will take you to pay that credit card. Yeah, and even $6,000 debt can be 40 years. Which is just unbelievable. Insane, all those words, yes. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. Okay, so um, someone trying to wait out the two-year period, suffering endless collection agents, and you're getting the calls. So the last thing, what do you do with that? The last insider thing is if you can, again, BC has some great consumer protection legislation that doesn't exist in all other provinces and people just don't know about it here. There is a form that Consumer Protection BC produces and it's on our website at sandstrustee.com. It's a form letter that if if someone's bothering you with debt collection calls, you have the right to say, I don't consent to these calls. Simple as that. If I do business, I do business by mail. And it's a lot less intimidating to open a letter than it is to have someone coming through the phone at you. Right. So if you're someone who's maybe going to wait out the two-year statute of limitations and you're really worried that the creditors are going to be calling you 20 times a day. Or they already have Or they already are. Yeah. Yeah. You can put yourself back in the power position by sending that letter out to your creditors, documenting that you've sent the letter. And then the next calls that you're getting, you're going to be informing them, I'm sorry, you seem to be violating consumer protection laws here. Please stop calling me. And you hang up the phone. So you have to send them to each of the creditors? Yep. Each collector. Yeah. Oh, each collector. Yep. Okay. And and then if they continue to call, mm-hmm. what's your next? Yeah. I know you... Then you, you'd be getting to, in touch with Consumer Protection BC and they will take this serious. I've seen them give financial penalties to collectors who've continued to call after they've received this notice. So as with many things in life, you want to document who did you speak to, when did you send it, and make sure you've got you know everything on your side, but have a little bit of fun with it. You know, Make sure that you're completely solid on your facts, because so sometimes you'll be teaching the collector that, no, actually this does apply, and I'm sorry you are breaking the law, and why am I the one to tell you this? I don't know, but stop calling me. I can't help but think about folks who don't know or don't have this information. It's, uh, it's nice to know that British Columbia has some pretty firm laws protecting consumers. It's mm-hmm. something that I certainly didn't know. Yeah. It's very, very, very good. Listen, if any of this information is resonating with you, or you know somebody who's under this kind of um, constant calling, people calling, or they're unsure about what kind of debt they have, get to the website, sands-trustee.com. You know, and if you're not ready to start to talk to somebody yet, check out the website on its own. It's filled with so much good information that you can read through. Every kind of scenario is almost outlined in this and giving you uh, such good information. And then you can make that call. It's nice and easy to do. one 800 661-3030 to book that free consultation and start living that debt-free life. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.